America is in trouble. We've turned our backs on God, forsaken our history, and too easily succumbed to tyrannical orders. Our problem seems overwhelming, but the solution is simple. It's time we return to the Lord in strict adherence to the Constitution of the United States. Welcome to the Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. We're your hosts, Mark Deluzio and Christy Tyrone. Now, let's get on with the show. Christy, good morning. How are you? Doing good today. How about you? Good. Christy Tyrone. I'm Mark Deluzio. So, Christy, today I think we said we wanted to talk about economics because I think going back to the basics of what we talked about on the Constitutional Basics episode, we touched a little bit on economics, but economics is so important to understand because it really, you know, helps us think through when you see a law being passed or an action being taken, what's the economic impact on us as citizens at the grocery store, at the gas pump, whatever it may be, right? So I think putting together this economic package that you and I did is going to be important to a little bit of history and and maybe a little bit of fundamental 101 economic concepts that if everybody can really understand there'll be much better consumers of politics, if you will, <laughs> and, and vote the, hopefully in the right direction. So, uh, so, so I, I want to start with some fundamentals on this. So this episode, I guess is called constitutional economics. And I want to start with the most fundamental concept called supply and demand. And this is what they teach you like in the first week in college of your first economic class. Matter of fact, they should teach this in high school. It's not at all difficult to understand. But I think if you understand the basics of supply and demand, then you could always relate back to this principle to judge what impact a law or some action is going to take, right? So, so what is supply and demand? Price gets set between the equilibrium of the supply of a product, let's say tomatoes, and the demand for that product. And maybe to put it in a very easy way to think about it, when there's a shortage of something, let's use tomatoes, let's use automobiles. I mean, that happened during COVID where new cars were a shortage and the demand for used cars went through the roof. And if you were to sell your used car during COVID, you made them, you probably sold it sometimes she held it for, I think my wife sold her car for, she held it for two years, Christy, and she sold it for almost the same price she bought it for, brand new, Ooh. two years, okay? And and so the whole idea is if you have less of something, the price is going to go up because it most likely will exceed demand. If the demand is greater than the supply, the price is always going up. And I, and I, and I kind of, I think you heard me say this on the campaign trail when I was running for Congress, I used my grandson and I said to him, you know, geez, if, uh, if there's only one Mickey Mantle baseball card in the world versus a million Mickey Mantle baseball cards, which one would be worth more? And my, at the time, uh, 10 year old grandson said, Poppy, he said, uh, boy, if there's only one Mickey Mantle baseball cards, that, that would be worth a gazillion dollars. Smart okay. kid. <laughs> Yeah, and I wish I had only one and the only one. But uh, anyway, uh, so that's the fundamental, you know, supply and demand equation. Okay, and it really goes to anything you can think of. Uh, the well, more and that on the anything you can think of note, um, I was looking into um, 
the toy crazes that have happened oh, and like you know the playstation 5 i think was one of the more recent ones and you couldn't yep. even get one so if you found one it was super expensive but but my the tickle me elmo craze was kind of wild but my favorite is the cabbage patch riots of like i think it was like 1983 people went crazy for the cabbage patch dolls and it was i was kind of cracking up as i was reading through this stuff because the guy that made the cabbage patch he like had no idea that the demand was going to be so high so the supply just wasn't there and so people were like lining up outside the toy stores pushing each other over knocking down the aisles i think a couple people got killed in that whole mess in in different parts of the country (laughs) which is so they got trampled they got trampled over a toy like there was one story of a, a lady that worked at a toy store yeah she got trampled and like when she like recovered from the wreckage like her shoes were gone and she was all beat up and you're like over a toy come on guys people were driving to other well you states. know you know it's funny so so some of the younger people listening to this podcast probably saying well what's that you know but the funny thing about that <clears throat> the cabbage patch that all happened without the internet <laughs> right Right. That was it, it, was, it was made by a company in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut called Coleco. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Cabbage Patch doll was one of those things where it, it, it just caught a buzz and people went ballistic for this doll and the supply did not meet the unbelievable demand. And you got to remember the demand all happened. Everybody wanted it for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right. So all the demand was concentrated. It wasn't like you're looking for demand over the course of 12 months, all within like a two month time frame. Everybody went bonkers for they were lining up at midnight waiting for the store to open at eight o'clock in the morning. Okay. Well, and then like I you mean, said, like with the internet not being a part of it too. Like yeah. I was there was a video that someone shared of the craze of the like riot in the toy store. And I was kind of laughing because I was like, there was no people didn't have smartphones back then. So the fact that this you can just like pick up and start recording. So the fact that this was caught on camera means that like it was going on for long enough. Oh, yeah. Like a new oh, yeah. crew came oh, yeah. in and oh, yeah. got the big cameras out. And, and you got to remember, too, you didn't have cameras like we do now. Like, yeah, you know, everywhere there's cameras mm-hmm. recording everything that we do. It's another episode, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, illegal search and seizure we'll talk about that some other day yeah but uh anyway that's a really you know maybe they should call it the law of cabbage path instead of the law of supply and demand okay but but you know that is a very good example of how supply and demand works okay now maybe yeah. that's a little bit of a, a crazy type of example but it, it it the principles are the whole reason why that whole thing that the whole thing went down so so you know there there's a couple basic economic theories that get thrown around by the uh, elite establishment, okay, the intelligentsia, as we call it. And one of them is something called Keynesian economics. Now, John Maynard Keynes was an economist, and, and his philosophy was that government spending could boost demand. In other words, when they, when they actually spend money because there's a great demand for whatever they spend it on, it, you know, it, it will, it will, it will boost, it will, it will boost. Uh, well, I put put it this way: their spending will boost demand, and it will stimulate the economy. Is his philosophy? And I've had arguments with PhDs in economics who were Keynesian uh, economists who believed in the Keynesian theory that government theory, uh, government spending will 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 boost the economy, and and. So I just asked a very fundamental question. 
Where does the government get its money from? From us, from the people and taxes and taxes, taxes, taxes. From from the economy. Yeah, exactly. From the economy. So you mean to tell me that, okay, so the money's sitting out here in the economy between you and me, let's say. You and I have all the money. <laughs> no. <laughs> we are king and queen, right? Um, but uh, we have all the money out here in the economy. The government takes this from us, as you said, through through taxes. And then they spend it. Well, wait a minute now. If you take the money from me, I can't stimulate the economy. And what that fundamentally means is that the government is smarter as yeah. to how they're going to spend our money than you and I are. Okay. Better. All right. So, and by the way, we'll get into this personal property thing later as far as a principle. But so the Keynesian economic theory is an absolute, I think, farce. And, and some very noted economists we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, reject it. Now, the other side of the coin is capitalism and Adam Smith. Adam Smith was a Scottish philosopher, and he wrote a book back in 1776 of, of all years called The Wealth of Nations. And he basically said, hey, look, uh, uh, let the, the market be by its, let the market operate in capital, which is, you know, money, uh, uh, labor, uh, equipment, you know, whatever, will find where it is best used on its own, what he called the invisible hand. It's an unseen force that drives, you know, driven by self-interest. You know, I'm not going to go start a factory today to make buggy whips. Why? Because yeah. <laughs> there's no buggies and there's no horses. And okay, so so we have automobiles now. Okay, so why would I put my capital into buggy whips? Again, an extreme example, just to give you the idea. But he said, let the let the market operate and stay out of its way, and money will find its way to doing the right thing that everybody could benefit from. Okay. It's natural. It's a natural flow of events. It's not forced yeah. or pushed. Yeah, it and it's not, and it's not some bureaucrat telling you this is where the money has to be and all that. So, mm -hmm. so let's just think about a couple of things. I have not yet seen when the government intervenes in the free market that bad things didn't happen. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. And maybe somebody can write into us later and, and let us know mm -hmm. an example where I'm wrong. But let's just take the minimum wage. Yeah, the government imputes a value on hourly labor rates. Okay, right. and then that we have a federal minimum wage. Then states have one too, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, the federal. I I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but the federal minimum wage, I think, is in a seven dollar range or something like that. And then I think our, in Arizona here, we're in the thirteen dollar range. Yeah. But and so the state cannot be less than the federal. It could be correct. Over. Correct. Cannot be less. Correct. So this minimum wage says, okay, well, I'm going to put, well, what if you're not worth the minimum wage? What if you're not worth $13? Well, let's go back to the supply and demand. If you raise the price of anything, the demand for that commodity is going to go down. I don't care if it's tomatoes, houses, automobiles, the demand will go down. Now, now, yeah, there's other forces that, that affect demand, okay? But in a pure sense, if you raise the price of a commodity, in this case, labor, the demand will go down. Minimum wages cause unemployment. Yeah, now, and then they cause unemployment 
and it makes it rate yeah it raises prices because if you're going to pay your so if you own a restaurant and you have five you know guys working for you and then you unnaturally outside of the regular course of supply and demand now have to raise their wage then you're going to have to raise your prices to keep it's, them employed it, it, it's it's an absolute see all the ill consequences that happen with something like this when the government mm-hmm. intervenes there are several things like you just mentioned that are uh, 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 ill, ill con- un- mm-hmm. maybe unintended consequences. I'll tell you another one. It's probably the most racist thing the government does from the respect that when you look at our poor public education system in the inner cities where primarily you know uh, uh, minorities live, that's where the worst education is, okay? Mm-hmm. So now let's just say I've got a black and a white kid. Let's say a, kid, a white kid goes to Glastonbury, Connecticut, where we came from, which supposedly is one of the better school systems in the country. And you get some kid that just came out of the Bronx, where it, and, but he's a black kid, and he's absolutely not educated. Okay. And by the way, Hartford, Connecticut, my wife taught kids at college, and they couldn't even do percentages, but they mm-hmm. got out of high school. Okay. So, so. Now the employee's got a black guy and a, and a, and a white guy in front of him. He only got one job and he's got to pay him 14 bucks an hour. Who's he going to hire? He's not going to not hire the black kid because he's black. He's not going to hire him because he didn't have the skills. Okay. So and it, then we'll it, turn it into a race thing, but, it's, but, it's... but he'll be called a racist because of that. You see how these things have ill consequences. So, so matter of fact, Thomas Sowell talks about this. Uh, who's one of the better you know, economists out there today. Matter of fact, we'll talk about him in a minute. I'll give you one other example, price controls. When the government says, okay, well, you know, we're going to put a cap on, uh, I'm going to make this up because I, I don't have specific examples, but but there are out there. Let's say farmers, they say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to put a cap on, uh, on a bushel of corn. Mm-hmm. You can only charge so much for a bushel of corn. The farmer says, well, screw you. I'm going to make soybeans. All of a yeah, sudden, there's a, all of a, sudden there's a lack of corn. Mm-hmm. And there's a drought of corn in the market, okay? And yeah, when people what wanted it and he was willing to make it and everything was working out just fine, but if he right. can't make enough money to, to grow more, why would he grow more? Why would he do any at all? I'll, gi- I'll give you one other example, okay? And by the way, this also goes back to the supply and demand curve, right? Mm-hmm. When the government says, the government puts mandates on, on uh, or, or laws, I should say, that you can't hoard during a hurricane. In other words, if batteries go for $10 a pack, you can't charge $40 a pack, okay? All right, so what does that do? There's a rush to the Walmarts of the world and uh, and all the places that sell batteries. D- if you're going in and there's a hurricane for 10 bucks a pack, are you only going to buy one pack? You'll probably buy six saying, hey, That's I like- ain't running out, man. Because, you know, then all of a sudden you start seeing the shelves in these stores barren. Why it promotes hoarding almost? You're like, oh, because I can get we did we we exactly we did not let the 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 price regulate the supply and demand. Now, mm-hmm. if that pack of batteries went up to twenty five dollars, and I really need, I, I might only buy one pack, not 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 five packs, okay? Because mm-hmm. it would have cost me a lot of money. Now there's packs left on the shelf for you, Christy, when you come in. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to pay twenty five dollars. But the ill-intended consequences oh, here of, of these price controls and when the government gets, and by the way, we could talk about this with healthcare. We could talk about this with a lot of different things, okay? Um, so anyway, 
I want to I'll just take you back to the fact that let the market let, let don't regulate the market the way it's been regulated. That's what President Trump was trying to do. Take a lot of the regulations out because we pay for those regulations, by the way, in a lot of different ways. And um, and so, again, going back to that fundamental supply and demand curve. Now, the guys that really the three most notable, in my opinion, my favorite economists, uh, two of them are gone now, unfortunately, uh, who really were you know promoters of uh, Adam Smith and 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 what he's known as the father of, of economics, Adam Smith, um, was uh, Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell, who's still living. Thomas Sowell's in his nineties, and Walter mm-hmm. E. Williams, who died uh, recently, a couple years ago. So these three people here, if you get a chance to pull up their 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 YouTube videos, uh, Milton Friedman, Friedman, Thomas Sowell, and Walter E. Williams, and Thomas Sowell gets into a lot of other areas, Christy like slavery and reparations and all kinds of other things that we'll bring, bringing his name back into future episodes because he's, he's an unbelievable thinker. And by the way, he was a Marxist when he was in college. Oh, that's wild. That's so, and an interviewer said, (laughs) well, now he's the most, one of the most conservative economists out there today, a big capitalist. They said, they asked him, he said, well, on an interview, they asked Thomas, Sowell, why did you change from, Marxism to being this big conservative. He had a one word answer. It was called facts. Facts will do it. Mm-hmm. We'll change your course. So so the founders had this vision about a less intrusive government, and they fought about that. I think we talked about that last time, but they fought about a less intrusive government with states' rights, uh, which is what the Tenth Amendment's all about. Mm-hmm. They did not want a large, powerful government with centralized control. Right. Uh, they wanted to basically stay the heck out of our way. And yes. and that's not happening today because <laughs> we have a lot of these uh, three letter agencies, as we call them, that are now Congress has has uh, slugged off their responsibilities and allowed unconstitutional agencies like the EPA, the CDC, the FDA, Department of Education is a big one, FCC. All these things are not enumerated powers in the Constitution. There's nothing in there that says the federal government has any say about our education systems, about our, our, our environment. That's all states' rights things, right? And uh, in our airwaves, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they limit radio stations to 50,000 watts on the AM, uh, AM dial. So all that stuff is, is now where our rights are being eroded, and they get involved in your business, therefore the economy, right? How you're running your your little shop, your coffee exactly. shop, your automotive shop, like whatever you're working on and build it, have built with your labor, this is their way of intruding on it. Yeah, I, was on a, I was on a board of directors for 11 years for a public company, a New York Stock Exchange company, okay? I'll give you one little example. This is one little example, okay? Because it's a lot bigger than this. The Dodd-Frank Act, <laughs> which was a big joke, uh, put in Sarbanes-Oxley and uh, oh, Sarbanes-Oxley is another part of that, but the 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 Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, and by the way, those two guys are the guys that caused the 2008 recession. Now they then they wrote laws and blamed the banks. Uh, but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> and I know Chris Dodd personally. Okay, um, but Barney Frank and Chris Dodd wrote the Dodd-Frank Act, and part of the provisions of that that we had to come up with a number that said what what ratio is the CEO's pay to your average pay in the company? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds simple, right? Really? For a multinational company. What wage rates do you use? What exchange rates do you use? Do you include part-timers? Do you include bonuses, long-term compensation, short-term compensation? I mean, there's so many. It actually costs us $300,000 of outside accounting fees. Okay. Not counting the cost inside to come up with this one number that's set in a 90-page proxy. Okay. Okay. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Okay. And if you screw that up and if you don't have any kind of, and by the way, they don't give you any guidelines. But when they come auditing you as to how you got that number, if you don't have it well thought out, and then some 25-year-old accountant that couldn't work for some of the bigger agencies starts asking dumb questions and says, well, you know, well, why don't you include this? And how did you factor in exchange rate? There's no, but there's no law on this, right? That's what happens. And then they start putting sanctions and fines. And that's what these people do, okay? So anyway- And I just want to add a little note here about just looking at our history, American history, pre-revolution. And everybody kind of knows that like they're upset about taxes and overtaxation, taxation without representation, all that. But there was also a lot going on with with the free market and um, trade, limits on trade. The king was very um, controlled. For a while, they didn't really care. And they kind of went on laissez-faire, like kind of pretended these things weren't happening. But the colonists were trying to trade with other colonies and other, you know, um, countries and they wanted stuff and then they had stuff and the King was really blocking their, their free market. And so a lot of them, the colonists ended up smuggling, um, to get around, around this stuff. We could, yeah. we could do a whole show on that, but that's all part of too, what led our founders to be more steadfast in how we're going to to, to get out of the way how we're going to get out of the way and let the people do their work because that is one of the many things that inspired the um america's birth oh, yeah you're right you're market. right like the, the monarchies back then and let's say the 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 uh, uh the english crown not only control the government they these monarchies would control the churches as well mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons of the first amendment which you know we'll have a whole show on that someday because there's so many misnomers about the separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution uh, at all. And uh, just like abortion, uh, free abortion, you know, a, a right to have an abortion was never in the Constitution and never got put in the Constitution. But anyway, uh, the difference between a monarchy and a free market, they want to move to a free market because they knew that economic prosperity is directly tied to freedom. Yes. Okay. And and so a monarchy did not allow that. They called they they made all the rules, right? And this is where you had the whole, you know, as you said, you know, you you and I talked about the uh, the Stamp Act and and the and the Boston Tea Party and the and the you know taxation without representation and all that kind of stuff, right? So 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 that's what we wanted to do is move away from that. Now mm-hmm. I want to take us back again to uh, the supply and demand curve. And I want to talk about the fact that money, the money supply today that's out there, the amount of currency of U.S. currency that's in the market today, and there's different types of currencies, M1, M12, and all. I'm not going to think about money out there in the market today. It's sitting in your bank account. A lot of it's electronic, by the way. Uh, it doesn't mean it's really hard currency, but back then when they wrote the Constitution, it was. Uh, matter of fact, it's interesting because the Constitution says that Congress has the right to coin money, not to print money. Okay, but that's another subject for another day. Um, so when you think about 
all the money that's in circulation right now, U.S. currency all around the world, our money supply, okay, our U.S. money supply, it is no different than tomatoes as far as supply and demand goes. Mm -hmm. It is no different than automobiles, uh, Mickey Mantle baseball cards. The more currency that's created through the Federal Reserve printing money, the less valuable it is. There's there's a story, um, what, what is it, 70 AD or so? Rome and the denarii. And the, um, the government wanted more money than they could get out of taxes. And so they started cutting the coins and cutting, yeah. clipping the edge yeah. of the coins yeah. and then oh, melting down the thing. And the people knew. They were like, well, now it's going to cost you, you know, two of those instead of one because it's not a full coin, you know. Yeah, and, and that, that is equivalent to, you know, quote unquote printing money. Now, let's talk about the Federal Reserve for a minute. Uh, I believe it's 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was created. People think that a lot of people are in the misnomer that the Federal Reserve is part of the government, and it's not. They are 12 independent corporations. Hmm. And it's a great gig if you can get it because uh, they, they, they control the interest rates. And the interest rates, in other words, of what is lended from the Fed to the banks called the prime rate, okay? So when you hear that the Fed is raising the prime rate by half a point, uh, going from, you know, 3% to 3.5%, that, all the banks that you deal with, are that's the cost of their currency. If they want to take that money now and lend it to you for a mortgage or a car loan, that's the prime rate that they have to pay, okay? That's, that's the cost of money to your local bank. Well, then what happens is, well, if the Fed raises the cost of uh, of money with the prime rate, your mortgage is going to be more costly, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how come interest rates change on all these different lending, uh, uh, you know, mortgage and, and automobiles and all that. And, and 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 also, by the way, interest rates for business loans. Okay, it's all tied in, right? Mm -hmm. So. We were at one. So why is the money supply expanding? Because Congress is spending money. I can't even say like drunken sailors because they didn't even spend this much. All when right? they're out, they're out. And you got to go pirating again, right? <laughs> right. right. And, 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 and so they, they will say, OK, well, here's a, here's a couple trillion dollar bill that Biden wants to spend. Or and I kind of give Trump a black eye for that, too, because the COVID bill, mm -hmm. I think it was two point three trillion. He never should have signed that. Never. Yeah. OK. Never. But anyway. Uh, politically, I guess he's, he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, we could uh, do a whole show on well, that. I, I, that's a whole nother show, right? Okay. Yeah. So not, but, but, <laughs> but the gold standard basically said this, and the founders, you know, put this in at the beginning, and they said the amount of currency in our in our economy is going to be limited by the amount of gold that we hold in our federal in our in our, you know, basically Fort Knox, right? So it had an actual solid. Of real value. gold, real gold. It was connected to a tangible, yes, um, yes, ma'am, mineral that was yeah. of value. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, it was illegal to own gold. Okay, oh, um, so, so, in I believe 1971, 1972, Gerald Ford, who to me was, you know, an unheralded bad president. He doesn't get the black eye he should have gotten. 
But I think the worst thing that they did was they 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 eliminated the gold standard, and that gave an open floodgate for Congress to spend money like you wouldn't believe, just so that they can get reelected. And I'm going to bring back two hundred million dollars to my district for that bridge, and uh, and also you know for this Indian tribe and for this and for that because I need to be reelected again. Okay, and so all of a sudden, before you know it, the blow. And if you ever sit down and wonder why. Uh, things are so expensive. Let me just give you the definition of inflation. The definition of inflation is when the money supply inflates. It's not because your prices went up at the grocery store. It's because, I mean, that's a result of an expanded money supply. Because think about it. As I said earlier, in the supply and demand curve, the more you have of anything, the less valuable it is. Mm-hmm. Again, if Even I have money. a million Mickey Mantle baseball cards, they're less valuable card by card than if there was only one, okay, or 10, right? So mm-hmm. that's why you see these crazy prices at auctions to say, hey, there's a, a Babe Ruth card that was printed backwards and only two got produced. And here, the, and all of a sudden, it goes for three million, a card goes for $3 million, right? So money's no different. The more well, there the... is of money, the less mm-hmm. valuable it is. So, so if you have ten thousand dollars in your bank account, and you you have a ten percent inflation rate, a year later, even though your bank account will still may say ten thousand dollars, it's only worth nine in purchasing power. Mm-hmm. That's inflation, okay? Yeah. Because when you go to the store, the prices are going to be inflated. Everything else being equal, ten percent, okay? That's just that's... like the way to rob everybody without. But think about the supply and demand. See, a lot of people have trouble thinking about money like they were tomatoes or baseball cards, okay, or cars, right? They have trouble thinking about money because it's it's an invisible and it's kind of maybe threatening to think about there is even is a money supply. I mean, how many people? It it represents the value, right? So you don't think about it being the value itself, especially when we have all the dollars, which, well, used to be a note that represented the gold in the hole, right? So it was yeah, like- it's a promissory note that says, hey, we, yeah. the government will back this with their gold. Yeah, exactly, right. So, so now that so. that's not the case, yeah. So it is hard to make that connection where you realize the dollar itself, the money itself should yep. be, it's just like another supply and demand item. So so bottom line is, bottom line is, uh we need to get back onto the gold standard, okay, and limit the power of, because – and then if you ever wonder why, if you lived long enough, if you're in the, lived in the 70s, let's say, and you can't figure out why, for example, uh, uh, well, even gasoline, for that matter, you know, was, was uh, you know, 59 cents, and now it's in the $6 range or wherever you live. This is the reason why prices have gone up so high, okay, because mm-hmm. of the – uh, the gold standard and the printing of money. All right. Uh, I think fantasy I, I think, money. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it, it, it's funny money because, you know, because uh, I, I believe I have to get this number, uh, but I think our, our money supply is north of 20 trillion. Okay. So it, it's big. It's a, there's a lot of money there. Okay. And, and so we're we used to sit like in the low four and 5 trillion. Okay. So this is what we're talking about. Why things have, gone up so high and by the way uh, i'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it but the consumer price index which is supposed to rep the inflation rate is a real joke in terms of how they calculate it i don't want to take a lot of time right now maybe we'll do a whole show on it but the cpi is so misleading when they tell you it's only nine it's nine percent inflation 
but you're not seeing 9% at the stores. Okay. You're seing 20% because it's because how they calculate it. Right. And there's a lot of tricks that are used to make that number look good, just like our unemployment rate as well. So again, those are well, subjects for another day. But, but bottom line you, is inflation okay. is the cruelest tax because mm-hmm. it affects everybody. It's the cruelest tax, especially for the lower income. Yes. Upper income can maybe weather the storm to a degree, but your lower income people cannot. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then before you wrap it up here, I want to share with our audience um, a book that I've been reading with the kids for economics and our homeschool. Um, my son, Chad, already finished it. Um, Anza and I are still working on it. We're not as mathy, so we're taking a longer time to get through it. But it's called Whatever Happened to Penny Candy? Yeah. And it's by Richard J. Mayberry. And um, it's about like it covers the gold standard, the mm-hmm. the meaning of money, inflation, mm-hmm. all these things that Mark's talking about, and a kind of fun um, and educational way. And I always say homeschooling is when I really started learning stuff. So I'm like, okay, so maybe this book is for eighth graders. But I learned so much reading it. And so if any of this stuff is you know new, or you have more questions, or you want to just learn more about constitutional economics, then that is a great book to dig you know, into. Chrissy, I wish they would teach that book in the eighth grade, you know. <laughs> and I wish they would teach it in college. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm serious because these principles are so important that we are just forgetting about. Because we, what we're doing is we're allowing our emotions to dictate our spending. Oh, I think yeah. we should put money over here for for this. And I think we should spend money on that. And what about this? Now I go back, I'm very basic in this regard. And I go back to this book called the constitution. So I'm holding my hand (laughs) and, and, and I said, well, what if it's not part of the enumerated powers of Congress, because Congress controls the purse. Mm -hmm. And if you were, and we're going to do an episode on the federal budget. uh, And we're going to start talking about the percentage of spending in the federal budget. That is unconstitutional. Okay. And by the way, translate that into your taxes as we're getting into April here and everybody's going to be doing their taxes. And I'm sure there'll be some people out there elated that they're getting money back. That's Mm -hmm. not a good thing to be elated about because it gave an interest-free loan to the government, which by the way is, is after inflation dollars. So if you gave them a thousand dollars back a year ago, (laughs) it's not worth that today. And you're oh, going to get wow. it back, but you gave them free money to, you know, if you want to lend money, lend it to me and I'll, I'll take care of your taxes, you know, um, <laughs> there you go. but you know, and, and that's, and, and so that's, that's what I'm trying to say here is that not only are you being affected based on the, on the purchasing power of the dollars you are allowed to keep, you are being affected by unbelievable taxation that, you know, people sometimes, you know, I remember they complained about ATM fees. I was like, really? You're content- I mean, you're getting taxed forty percent by the government, and and that's not counting the state that you live in. Like California is off to what thirteen percent, fourteen, whatever it is. Oh, it's like, so much. and and that's your biggest beef, an ATM mm-hmm. fee. Okay, really? A dollar here, a two dollars there. Give me a break. Okay, so anyway, I think really we have to hold back our oath to the Constitution. Now, this is a tough road to haul because. As Rush Limbaugh said, it's hard to beat Santa Claus. When you give money to, uh, you know, taking money from one person, we talked this in the basics, right? If I take money from you and give it to somebody else as a government, I, the government, have control over both of you. I own you both. 
Yeah. Okay. And and now uh, I got to you know get elected by saying, well, we're not going to spend that money on you anymore. You're not going to get the hard campaign to run. (laughs) We're not, we're not going to take money from Christie and give it to Charlie. Okay. We're not doing that anymore. And especially when so many people are so detached from how basic economics works. Exactly. Or in the constitution, right? I mean, yes. Which are constitutional economics. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and again, going back to to capitalism and and going back to Adam Smith, the constitution and in that concept of capitalism is are intertwined. And so the people who want to go to socialism is a real joke. And I'll just give you one quick, we're going to have a whole thing on socialism uh, and different forms of government. But I, I, I'll recall my, my wife as a school teacher said to her class, which was in Connecticut, everybody here is going to get a C. Some kids were elated. Other kids, I'm not going to make Harvard and I'm not going to make the honor roll and all this. And like, no, that's socialism, guys. Everybody gets the same thing. No matter what you put into it, you get the same thing. Where's That's the incentive? Where's the incentive? Yeah. yeah. She actually got in trouble. She got caught on the carpet for that, but uh, I, unbelievably so. Well, well it's Connecticut, right? Hey, uh, good job, Diane. I applaud, uh, I applaud her for that. I hope those kids remember that lesson to this today. So I guess every decision that you see and how they're spending your money, I would just ask you, demand of you, that you ask this question. Is it constitutional? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there's more to say on, on, on economics, but I think the, if you can understand those basics, Christy, you know, if people can understand those basics, I think we're going to be in a lot better shape as a country than uh, than not, right? So That's right. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Uh, Christy, I don't know if you have any cabbage patch dolls in your, in your closet, but if you do, uh, uh, guard I, I them with your one. life, okay? <laughs> I have in, in the 80s and i and i cut her hair and it was she was fun while she lasted right, but my parents gonna... didn't riot to get her just so you know that <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll see you all next time thank you christy tyrone <laughs> mark deluzio we'll see you guys next time thank you god bless god bless thanks for listening to the constitution solution one podcast under god you can find other episodes on our website at 1787solution.com YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're your hosts, Christy Tyrone and Mark Deluzio. Until next time, may God bless you and may God bless America.